0: you get a chance, go check out Adam Adams' podcast. Talk to you guys soon.
1: Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams. And when I'm not behind the mic on this podcast, I'm usually hosting an event, hosting a meetup, uh, teaching people how to raise equity. And actually, we have a, a huge event, Last year, it was one of the biggest events for all of multifamily. And it's coming up on October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. I hope you'll attend. Go to RaisingMoneySummit.com and then you can get a discount by putting in the promo code podcast. So just my podcast listeners, get this awesome promo code, just put in podcast and and I'll know that you got it. You heard it here on the podcast and you'll get a giant discount. So go to RaisingMoneySummit.com and then put in the promo code at checkout podcast. You get a big discount and I'll see you there October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast. Your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. And today we are joined with my friend, Glenn Gonzalez, one of the best people, one of the best human beings you'll ever meet. And here's what we're going to talk about today. Here's what I'm going to let him talk about is basically his story because a lot of people get started in, and they, or a lot of people don't know where to get started. That's the truth. A lot of people are like, I don't know where to start. I remember I didn't know where to start. I got started in property management. I thought that was the best way to go. But I always had this uh, vision that I was one day going to own all these apartment buildings. And as we record, I have like 770 something apartment buildings units and it's like it came from nowhere right but this person that we have glenn gonzalez one of my favorite human beings he's in a mastermind that i'm in uh we're both a part of rod cleef's mastermind and i've just taken to him and i think you're gonna get a lot from his story so that's where we're gonna dive into right now is the story of glenn gonzalez and i know that it's gonna give you the purpose and the passion for you to be very, very successful in multifamily. So with
0: that said, Glenn, tell us a little bit about your story. This is exciting. Ah, AAA, you just gave me chills. I love it. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. This is fantastic. And, and uh, likewise, I feel just the same you do. You know, when we get to networking with people and we get to attend the Mastermind and other stuff, it is so fun. And uh, I've gravitated a little bit towards you as well, uh, just because of your personality And your energy, I remember going out on the deck and doing some videos with you. Um, And so, you know, you're also an inspiration to me on on how to do this social media very, very well. So thanks for being a great example to me because I'm still learning. I'm learning so much all the time. Uh, So my story, uh, it's almost a little fairy tale story in a way, right? right? (laughs) uh, I think about when I got started in this industry, it was by accident how a lot of people get started in this industry. It's not always planned. You don't grow up and say, "I'm going to go into be in the apartment industry." Um, I was actually going to college uh, studying to be a hospital administrator, and while I was going to school, I was working part time as a maintenance man at an apartment complex where we were living, and um, you know, I was picking up trash. I was, you know, fixing stoves and toilets that didn't flush right, and dishwashers and stuff. And, and it was cold outside. And, you know, people would call me in the middle of the night when they get locked out, and I had to go let them in their apartment because they lost their key or whatever, whatever. <laughs> anyway, and I always saw the man. Where, manager, where uh, was this? Where was, was this in Texas? No, this happened to be in Salt Lake city. So, oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So I also had to shovel walks right when it snowed outside. I, I was always the first one out there putting down salt so that people don't slip before they go to work. I mean, it was a, it was a tough job. Uh, and then I just got a little jealous because, you know, the managers, they were sitting in the warm office. They were talking on the phone. They were selling apartments. And I'm like, I want to be a leasing agent someday or a manager because they've got it made. Right. So I went to my boss's, uh, my boss's boss and basically said, Hey, I want to be a manager. And then I, who are you? I'm like, I'm the maintenance guy. I'm Glenn. Like, uh, but you do maintenance. I'm like, yeah, but I can learn this. And they said, oh, okay, whatever, go back to work. So I went back to work and sure enough, a couple months later, they called me and said, hey, uh, we got this new contract to manage this 60-unit apartment complex uh, in West Jordan, Utah. Um, And and we need a, I can't really afford a full-time manager, but we kind of need a maintenance guy too to come and get these units ready. How would you like to do both? And I'm like, I'll take it. Sign me up. So there I was uh answering the phone, just like I liked doing and what I wanted to do and leasing apartments and talking to people and having a good time. And I learned a valuable lesson at this time about my maintenance skills because I also had to go get the units made ready, right? So <laughs> then I go get the unit made ready. It's all in my mind, ready to go. I lease that apartment and the people go and get their move in, move out checklist as they're going moving in, and they bring it back to me and it's all filled out. It's like got all these checks of everything's broken. Like, what is this? Like, ah, that's the condition of our apartment for moving in. You know, I don't know who, who got this apartment ready, but there's a lot of things still broken. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll send over the maintenance guy later this afternoon, right? Thinking they wouldn't be home. (laughs) But then I walk in with my toolbox and, and the wife answers the door. She's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, ah, I'm the maintenance guy. She's like, oh, I thought you were the manager. I'm like, yeah, I'm both. So she's like, so you're the one that did all this work before we moved in. I'm like, yes. Awkward moment of silence. <laughs> we both realized what a bad maintenance guy I was at the time. So anyway, that was my foot in the door into property management as a as a manager. But I kind of had a knack for leasing and part, you know, and, and managing the apartments. The property that I was on happened to uh, do very well. So the investors were pretty happy. My boss was pretty happy. You know, we got it full, and then I started raising rent. And I kind of liked the business aspect of it. Uh, and they asked me at one point, well, we've got another 200 unit that's struggling, but we just want you to go over there and just give us your opinion. And you know, we don't want you to go manage it. Just, just go meet with the manager and tell me what you think. And I went over there and talked to the manager and realized that the leasing agent wasn't very effective. You know, and I had a hard time saying, well, that person is not very good because, you know, I talked to him dry as a bone, no personality. I'm like, I would never rent here.
1: I want to make sure that with that said, that we are... Can dive in and understand what they were not doing uh, that you would do, so that we can really learn how to be effective as a as a leasing agent.
0: Oh, what good question. Notice? Yeah, good question. You know, just like my maintenance skills weren't the best, you know, and we learned that. You know, this leasing agent, she just didn't have the personality. So when I say the personality, it's like when people would walk in the door or or call or meet this individual, she was unable to connect with them. She was just, everything was like cold, right? So it's like, what's your name? Do you have a pet? When are you looking to move in? When do you need it? Okay, the rent's 850. Okay, thanks, click, right? No personality, not like, oh, you have a pet. What's the name of your pet? Oh, what other ones are you looking at? What's your budget, you know? My name's, you know, Glenn, what's your name? You know, I mean, all the personality that comes in as you make a connection, that's sales, Mm -hmm. right? And so I shared that feedback with the property manager. And I said, I don't know how to tell you this, but your leasing agent's really bad. And the manager said, she's my best friend. And I said, well, you've got a problem because your property is suffering at a performance level. And it's probably because you're leasing agent because all of your competitors are full. And you've got a nice product. And it's priced right. But this lady is just not connecting with people. And I, and I told her, I says, you need to make a change. And, um, it took her a while. I said, don't take my opinion. Why don't we order a secret shop, right? Cause there's secret shoppers that will go out there and they'll give you their professional opinion. They show up, they pretend to be a, a, a renter and, uh, they give an. They, when they're all done, they, they turn in an, an evaluation to the boss, you know, of how their experience was. And sure enough, said the same thing. She scored very low well on all the categories. Um, and so she finally made a change, you know, and that manager had to make a very big business decision. And that property's performance increased. I mean, they went back up uh, where all the competitors were. They didn't have giveaway concessions anymore, and they had a very bubbly personality. But let me share with you this story, Adam. Along the way, I made a very similar mistake in my career. I was a regional manager at one point, and I had this leasing agent that was fantastic. And she wanted to move up in the career. She wanted to be an assistant manager. It was a larger property, it was, I think, a 350 unit deal. And so we promoted her. And all of a sudden, the leasing wasn't as effective because she was a dynamite leasing agent. That's why we promoted her. We put her in as an assistant manager. But if you think about the role of an assistant manager, they're keying in payables, they're serving pay or vacate notices, and then they're collecting rents. I mean, that's part of their job they're not the, they're not the front line for leasing they're the back door or the back end um you know doing all the paperwork well she had such a strong bubbly personality that she wanted to go visit with everybody she wanted to lease apartments she hated that job because she didn't want to knock on anybody's door and say hey you're late she was everybody's friend so she was not effective as an assistant manager but she was highly effective as a leasing agent and when the property's performance went down i realized i'd made it. made a big mistake. So I put her back in the leasing agent, but I paid her more than I was paying as the assistant manager. And I told her we would train her to learn the skills of an assistant manager and a manager. So she was learning different skills, but she was still in her role as a leasing agent. So sometimes you have to figure out people's strengths and weaknesses, just like I did. Not a good maintenance guy, but I love to manage apartments, right? So that mentality followed me kind of through my career. I uh, later went to be a regional manager and then grew to be the director of operations with uh, a, a small fee management company. Then I left to go to Equity Residential, which is a big REIT, right? They got uh, 220,000 apartments nationwide. Whew, the experience I got there was fantastic. Uh, and they taught me some great skills. Loved it, loved the culture, loved the personality, loved my boss, loved my coworkers, it was fantastic. I left that job to go chase money to another fee management company, a little bit smaller, but they offered me a lot of money. Mm. Um, and I hated that job. Hated that job because you know, the, the company was trying to convince manager or excuse me, clients and owners that we can get more rent than we probably really could have. It was probably unrealistic. So they were making promises to get management contracts. And so I didn't last very long with that. I, I was there four months and I had already started looking for another job. And I went to a headhunter, and that headhunter actually found me a really good job in Seattle, Washington as an asset manager. So at this point, I switched from operations to kind of the ownership side, and I learned a great deal. They were doing value-add stuff, and I was supervising the property management companies where I just came from, and it was a great job, and I learned so much. Yeah. Go uh, ahead. yeah go oh through. yeah, yeah.
1: I have a couple couple quick things. One is just to really relate to you that I've seen this in, in our business. We have seven people in the company and um and for a while when we started, it was like we decided that everybody needed to make um ten broker calls a day, everybody needed to put in one LOI a day, everybody needed to it was like it was like we were all doing the same thing and it wasn't until we realized that we need to find a way to say what does adam like passionately love doing podcasting yeah. what do, you know putting on events what does chad passionately love it's it's social media it's figuring out how to hack in algorithms what does manny love doing well he he loves looking at contracts what does this other person love doing what, it's the same thing as what Glenn loves doing. He's yeah. amazing at just asset management. If you just let him shine in the role that they love, we became a little bit more successful. And so I, I hope that every listener is really noticing, hearing you say that, but I really want to drive it home how important it really is, is to be passionate about the role that you do and and be able to play to your strengths. It's very, very important. One quick thing is I want to go backwards a little bit because I missed some information that I think would be valuable to all of the listeners when it relates to this 200 unit that had a, a property manager and a leasing manager that were best friends and the leasing manager wasn't doing great in the role that she was in and you mentioned that after they got you as well as a outside third-party secret shopper that the property performed better but i don't want to stop there and just say the property performed better i want to look and try to dissect like what does that mean to the bottom line what was the NOI and based on a cap rate in West Jordan, Utah, what, you know, what was the value? And then after we got a new leasing manager in there that was really good at connecting with people, what did the, you know, NOI or net operating income change to, increase to, and based on a cap rate in West Jordan, Utah at the time, what did that, Add uh, you know a value of an extra couple of million, or
0: you know I want to really understand what that means. Let me run through some numbers with you. Okay. So let's say that, um, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but I know that they increased their operations about ten percent. So that vacancy loss, you know, they went from about eighty-eight percent all the way up to ninety-eight percent. So they had about twenty-five units a month that they were able to lease, right? So if you were to do the math and take those twenty-five units. And the average rent was $750 back in that day. You know, it's probably $18,000 more a month. $18,750 exactly. Uh, you take that by and annualize it because they, they all sign a 12 month lease. Dude, that's $225,000 more a year to the owner's bottom line. And all the expenses probably stayed exactly the same. So there's, you know, a quarter million dollars or $225,000 in cash flow. But at that time, the cap rate at about a seven cap means that that was three point two million dollars in value. So if that owner was stuck in this rut, you know he would have he would have realized a three million dollar loss or not a loss, but not a gain, right? You just operate where all your other competitors are operating, and that dude made three million dollars more, right? So what do you think that did for that manager? right? I, if I recall, I think that that manager, not that year, but the following year probably got property of the year because they had the most NOI growth of all the other properties simply because they identified a weak link in the chain and made a change. And and the manager did very well, learned a valuable lesson. And then uh, the investors were pretty happy, right? And then the property uh, went up in value.
1: Yeah. $18,000 a month is significant 225,000 every year is you know a lot of people that's like four people's jobs in in a lot of cases
0: that's right. four people's
1: full time jobs you know with insurance and all that kind of stuff and then and or one person depending on what they're making and then based on a seven cap you just you said that was like around 3 million dollars that just all of a sudden value to the property went up by 3 million dollars because they said i'm not going to just hold my friend in here who's doing a bad job. I'm going to go ahead and fix
0: this. That's right. Right. I love it. And, that's, and that same philosophy could be, you know, uh, applied to so many different aspects in our industry. Let's say you have a maintenance guy, maybe me, for example, what if I wasn't very good at painting apartments? So I'm using twice as much paint and i am taken twice as long, right? That's a real scenario. So then that unit could take, that could be offline for a full 30 days if I'm not very effective. Gosh, 30 days' rent. What if I got three or four units that I'm trying to get made ready at the same time, and I just can't get it all done because I'm not very fast and I'm using twice as much paint because I don't know what I'm doing, right? Think about the cost associated to just the turn cost and the vacancy lost on that because I had a a, a less effective maintenance guy. Yep. Or somebody that doesn't go and take the time to get their pool certification. You know, maintenance guys can get pool certified and do their own pools, right? The chemicals and everything else. Um, but if you have to farm that out, you know, you pay a little bit less on the maintenance guy, maybe a dollar or two less an hour cause he's not pool certified, but then you turn around and you hire a pool company to come in there and you sign a contract that costs you what? Three grand or four grand uh, a year for them to come and service your pool. Gosh, it'd be cheaper just to pay the maintenance guy to go get his pool certification, have the property pay for it. He's more educated. Now he's more loyal and you just save the property money. So there's all kinds of different areas in, in our property management that if you really peel the onion back and really dial in on the details, you'll find areas to make more money and to save on your expenses. But a lot of it has to do with our, with our human capital, right?
1: Oh, yeah. So let's, let's go here, Glenn. You, you started out as a maintenance person a bad maintenance person a bad a terrible a bad, maintenance person <laughs> and then you found a way to start to get into leasing because you could tell that that's where your calling was and you learned that you were good at it your the owners learned that you were good at it they started asking you to consult with them a little bit go and give us your opinion here and then today you've done thousands of doors So, let's, I want to understand what happened from maintenance guy learning how to do property management to Mm -hmm. multi-millionaire with thousands of doors, hundreds of millions of dollars of properties, uh, transactions done throughout the years. Like, what took you from there to there?
0: You know, that's a great question. There were a couple of things that occurred in my life. Um, I was donating some of my time to the Apartment Association in Washington, up in Seattle, and I was on the board of directors. And I sit amongst all of these very successful people. You know, here I'm a regional manager. Uh, I work for a W-2, I work for a good company, and I I wanted to buy one someday. I, you know, I didn't have any money. And uh, you know, I didn't, I was working for a paycheck basically, right? So um I went to my friend John Gibson and I said, John, I'm looking at this little 60-unit deal down in Tacoma, Washington. Will you give me your opinion. You've been in the business for years. You're very successful. He looked at my numbers, he said, Glenn, I like you. I said, I like you too, John. <laughs> He's like, but I think I've got a better deal for you. I'm like, you do? What do you have? He's like, I own this 44 unit deal in Puyallup, Washington. And I'm like, say that again. What's it called? He's like, Puyallup. I looked it up on a map. I'm like, dude, I can't even say that word. So um, he says, I'll sell it to you on a contract, carry a note back. But you've got to come up with a hundred and fifty thousand dollar down payment. I'm like, but I was good at property management. I did a budget. I went out there and looked at it, and I realized the rents were low. Some of them were vacant. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, I could, I could do this. So I went to him. I'm like, dude, why are you selling this? You have all these successful apartments, and you got this one. What's up? He's like, I could care less about that forty four units. I've got you know a thousand other units that are just built class A stuff. And he goes, it's more of a thorn in my side. I just don't want to deal with it anymore. I said, I'll take it. But I I didn't have any money. (laughs) That's
1: what I was going to say. I was like, so you had 150 grand in the bank? Like 99.9% of the people that heard, I'll do all this for you, but you have to come up with 150 grand. They'd be like, well, shoot, I just don't have 150 grand. So
0: I can't make this work. So what did Glenn Gonzalez do? I went, uh. First, I said, yes, I'll do it. And we shook hands we did a contract. And then I panicked, right? First things is panic. Sweat, went and told my wife, what are you doing? I'm like, we could do this. I know what we're doing. Where are you going to get that kind of money? I have no idea, honey. So I went to a couple people that I liked, that I was friends with. One of them happened to be my boss because we had a good working relationship. Hey, boss, uh, I found a deal and I want to go in a third, a third, a third. We're all going to be third owners. You put up 75, and the other guy will put up 75. And my boss is like, that's not good math. You know, one hundred thousand dollars <laughs> uh, divided three ways is not $75,000 each. You, you know, you want me to put in half, and somebody else put in half. I said, yeah, basically. And they're like, how come you're not putting any money in? You know what I told them? I found the deal. It's my deal. We're going to make this amount of money, and you're going to get paid before I get paid. So what's the risk? Here's the upside. And um, my boss said, Okay. And then I asked her, I said, do You know anybody else that want to do this? She goes, Yeah, I know a couple people. I said, Who? She referred me to a vendor of all, you know, people, a contractor that we used to do power washing on some of our properties up in the Pacific Northwest. Went to him and, we're like, Hey, Scott, do you want to go in on this with me and, her, and Carrie? He's like, Yeah, what's the deal? I'm like, A third, a third, a third. She's in for 75. You need 75. And again, same thing. How does that math work? You well, know? I mean, how much do you put in? I'm like, I'm not putting in anything. But I found the deal and this is how much money are you going to make? And they're like, okay, I'll do it. So we bought the deal. We put down the 100 $150,000 and we fixed all the problems, managed it well, sold it in about a year and a half for a million dollars more than we paid for it. Awesome. Right? Wow. I, mean, I returned the money to them um, on their investment. We gave him another big check on top of that and we carried a note back for a half a million, right? So we put a half million in a pocket and uh, carried a note back for a million. That story was not a success. Really. We made a million bucks, but when we carried the note back to the other guy we sold it to, he defaulted and we lost that other half million. Mm. Right? So lesson learned. Uh, <laughs> you don't know, might not always want to carry a note back to people, uh, unless you're in a very good position.
1: <laughs> I'm very curious here how you lost a half a million um, with him defaulting on the loan. Mm-hmm. If you had the collateral of the apartment building, would you have taken back over the apartment building? What, what happened there exactly?
0: Uh, great question. So, um, and it's a very long, long explanation, but we carried a note back in the second position. So he had a loan in the first position and basically that first position and second in our note, second position was basically a hundred percent of the value. And when his performance went down, guess what? It didn't have the same value. Right? Okay. So when our note was due, um, he couldn't pay us back cause he didn't have enough cash flow. Well then he was really not performing very well. He even defaulted on the first mortgage. And they were going to foreclose on them. So I had two choices, pay off the first and move my position up into the first position, but I'd have to come up with 2 million Mm bucks, which I didn't have. And so what I did is I didn't want to get wiped out. I actually called another friend of mine and said, hey, I know you're rich. Would you like to buy a note on a defaulting property for 60 cents on the dollar? And he said, yes. I said, okay, but you got to take care of me on the backside. Right, so anyway, long story short, he made a lot of money that bought the note in default um he He got paid face value for his note because he got it at seventy cents on the dollar. But when the guy refinanced it, he refinanced enough to pay out the guy that, that bought the note, that still left me out there hanging, so even though I had come up with a solution, it wasn't a good enough solution, so at the end of the day, uh, there was just too much debt on that one deal. okay, you should have taken that our profit and that note that we carried back and put it all in our pocket. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? We should have never done that. So, but the deal might not have gone through had we not done that. So how do you know, right? Cause nobody yeah. would have maybe paid that much money, but what we did make though on that $150,000 down was a half million dollars. We did make that.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good, you know, return if, if you know that's you huge. Ask.
1: That's yeah. huge. Infinite yeah. for infinite for you. Yeah. You
0: yeah. were yeah. the engineer
1: who built put the deal together and, and uh, you know more than doubled the money of, of your two partners. So it's That's right. really great. All right. So and so that was your first deal and it worked yeah. out great. Mm-hmm. And it was forty four units, I think you said.
0: Yep, yeah, correct. Forty four units. And then and then what was the next deal that you did, Glenn? So let me just tell you a little bit about the in-betweener because that was in 2005, 2006, somewhere in there. Well, I'm still working for W-2 at this point, right? I did my first deal, it was very successful. I got a little coin in my pocket. Um, I went and bought some rental homes with that extra little money, put some money down, bought a couple, 2009 up in Seattle, uh, Washington. Boeing lays off 10,000 people. Microsoft lays off 10,000 people. We all know the story, right? Uh, The crash of 2009, 2008. Um, Washington Mutual, which was based up there in Seattle, Washington. Out of business. Banks wiped out. Anyway, disaster. I lost all my rental homes. All the money that I'd made. Got got, I had three short sales on houses and one foreclosure. So there I was. Didn't have two nickels to rub together. Woe is me. This really sucks.
1: Most people that... Would find themselves in a position like that after a, a big win and now a big loss. Yeah. Would, yeah. I would say most people would quit. Most people would most be people. like, man, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing this. This is risky. I'm going to go back and get a W 2.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly what I was doing. But then my W 2 said, uh, you know, our company's not doing very well. You're a good asset manager, but we have to lay you off. Hmm. Well, that stinks. So here I am with a big house, over leveraged, fancy car, <laughs> over leveraged, um, and a uh, house getting foreclosed on. Right. Um, <sighs> disaster, disaster struck, went down to zero, learned a variable lesson. very, very valuable lesson. You know, Dave Ramsey teaches this and a lot of financial, you know, <laughs> spend less than you make mm-hmm. less than <laughs> That makes for a rainy day and don't over leverage, you know, live conservatively. Had I listened to that advice um, and to the other leaders and other people and taken that sound advice, I wouldn't be in such a dire situation today. But anyway, got a job offer. Somebody came and said, why don't you move to Austin, Texas and run my property management company? I'm like Austin, Texas from Seattle. Let me see. Okay. That sounds great. Doesn't rain in Austin and I don't have a job. I'm unemployed. So, I'm, okay, let's do it. So, and he wanted to make me a partner on the property management company uh, only to find out he, you know, the properties were not doing well and he didn't have any structure organization. So after a while I, I, I did, I put that management company in order and put the properties in order and uh, they became very successful. And then I later became a junior partner in that property management company and frankly got pretty darn good at um, managing properties. And I was able to turn around troubled assets pretty well. At this point, I was the president of a property management company. So I went from maintenance man, manager, regional manager, asset manager. Now I'm the president of a management company. I'm like, this is a great career. Still working for a W-2. Well, um, people heard that I was able to manage troubled assets. So a bank called uh, a friend of mine, and he says, they said, do you want to buy this? It's in dire you know, cause he bought um, apartments and he's like, no, I'll pass on that deal. They called me and says, what would it take to turn this around for us? We're getting ready to foreclose. We don't want to own it. But, um, so I went and did my homework. It was a 200 unit deal in San Antonio, Texas. I said, Mr. Bank owner, uh, if you really want to fix this problem, you need to dump a million dollars cash to fix some of your deferred and get units back online. Cause there was 40 units offline. So the bank wanted me to fix a problem. and They said, you need a million. I told them, you need a million dollars to fix this property. And that bank said, I don't want to put any more money in this asset. We're the lender. We're not property managers. So, you know what I said to them? Just like I said in a little 44 unit deal, I'll take it. Like, do you have a million bucks? I'm like, no, but I'll go get it. And then I, like, hey, you're good at what you're doing. If you think you could do it, let's do it. So, they carried a note back. I went and raised a million bucks with a business partner of mine. And we bought that deal and we sold it one year later. A 48 IRR, and I made more on that one deal than it took me to work four four years on a salary, right? So, just doing the math, right? I mean, I was making a hundred grand as the president of a management company, not a lot of money, it was a small company. I made four hundred thousand dollars fixing up this one apartment complex and selling it. Mm-hmm. And it took every dime I had to invest in that one deal because I had to write checks to the lender as a loan commitment fee, it was everything my wife and I had in the checking account. We were all in that 200 unit deal made me so much money. I was like, I'm going to do this over and over again. That's it. I'm all in. So no longer if I, now I, to be honest with you, somebody says you want to buy a 300 unit property. I'm like, yes, I do. So I mean, I even bought a 650 unit apartment complex. Yeah, let's do it. Then I went and talked to a friend of mine that was retiring. He's 80 years old. He's been a friend of mine for years. He's like, I've got eight apartment complexes, 1,500 units. They're up in Dallas. Do you want to buy them? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And we'd go raise the money. And you know what? Dude, I got up to 4,500 apartments in a span of like six years uh, here in Texas. And um, and I believe that now might be a good time to sell. So we've been selling those things. And dude, uh, on Ravenwood, we got like an 89 IRR. Some of them were 60 IRS, some of them were 50 IRS. I mean, we were just returning all this investor money back to these guys. And um, and then I met Dave Tupin. and we're just gonna recreate the will. We don't have to recreate the will. I mean, we, we know exactly what to do and how to do it and where to do it. So uh, pretty excited about the future, pretty excited about what we got going on now. I'm so excited that you let me tell my story on your show. Triple A, you're a good man. Um, but I think if I had to leave a message with anybody, it would be this, you know, do your homework, be really good at what you do, really good at what you do, and then take a little bit of a risk. Because if you believe in yourself and you know you're good at what you do, you'll be successful. You got to have confidence. You got to trust yourself. Um, you find a good deal, the money will find you. You've heard that over and over. But I tell you, it's an absolute truth.
1: When we have you back on, I, I need to find out how you've raised all the money for 4,500 apartments. And it's probably higher than that now. But when you look at that, that that's like, how, how much is 4,500 apartments in Texas? Uh, about 300 million in assets. 300 million. Mm-hmm. And so that's basically raising about close to $100 million, right?
0: Correct. Yeah. I think we raised between... 80 and $90 million in equity um, across. And yes, that's a whole podcast all in itself. I would love to (laughs) that. Every one of them was done a little bit differently. Every one of them.
1: Play to the strengths, take action.
0: Play to the strengths. But I also said, uh, be really good at what you do. Be an expert at your craft. Have confidence in yourself. And if you have those elements, uh, go and find yourself a deal, put it together. If it's a good deal, the money will find you you know, and then you can reach out to people like me or Adam or anybody and we'll help you raise the money because finding good deals is the key to success.
1: Love it. Thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate your time. I love your story. It's an inspiration every time I hear it and I'll let you go. But until next time, think outside the box. From the bottom of my heart, I want to just say thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, coming on to the podcast. I hope you've noticed one of the things that I'm absolutely trying to do right here on the podcast, and I, and I hope you've already noticed this, is I'm trying to bring as many amazing women on the podcast to really let that light shine, and that's the same thing that I'm doing with my events. So, like, I have uh, Tamil Kenny, I've got uh, Alina Trigub, I've got Jillian Sedotti, Ellie Perlman, Kathy Fedke, Maureen Miles, Peely Yarusi, some just incredible humans credible women that'll be on stage at the Raising Money Summit this year i hope you decide to go ahead and grab your tickets and see what all of the speakers not just the women but the men and the women have to to do and present for us i think we're going to learn a lot and not only that but the networking is going to be outrageous so i hope you'll accept my invitation to come to the Raising Money Summit by going to raisingmoneysummit.com Check out all of the speakers, the ones that I just mentioned and the rest of them as well. Check out the speaker lineup. Check out the already amazing ticket prices that we have and grab your discount for it as well. There's there's a special right now anyway and plus that you could still use the promo code on top of it, which is awesome. Just put in podcast. So that's your promo code. That's your discount code. But there's a discount anyway. Plus take that off and you'll save a bunch of money. I definitely want to see you there October 3rd, 4th and 5th.